This is We Are Jet. We tell stories of people who've had to drastically adjust their mindset, team culture, and ways of working, all to match the pace of a rapidly growing organization. My name is Ed Palmer. In each episode, I speak with a different leader from JustEatTakeaway.com, one of the world's largest food delivery and tech companies. Today, we'll hear the story of the global head of sponsorships, Marijn Luchtman. That was the moment in time where we, yeah, where we were finally big enough to, to do such a sponsorship. I was lucky because in one of my previous roles, I also was a sponsorships director. So I said, like, I might have some tips and tricks. So for me, it changed really a lot. Hello, Marijn. Please introduce yourself and tell us where you fit within your team and the business. My name is Marijn uh, Luchtman and I'm responsible for all uh, global sponsorships. Um, so uh, we sit uh, in the marketing team uh, within the, the, the organization and uh, within the marketing team, there's a big partnerships team, uh, which consists of four pillars. Uh, one CSR, one is BRG, that's uh, branded restaurant groups with uh, uh, the likes of uh, McDonald's and, uh, and Burger King. Uh, then we have uh, uh, FMCG. And uh, the last one, we have sponsorships. That's where uh, I'm responsible for. I have a team of uh, 13 uh, people. And um, we look after all the big football tournaments and competitions like uh, Euro 2020, the Champions League, the Europa League, all the women's leagues, all the youth leagues, f- futsal leagues, 12 competitions in total. And, and we just started this uh, sponsorships. Okay, so it's about, um, let me, I'll, I'll come back to that. So hopefully this will work. I'm going to get you to check your receipts on your Jet app and ask you about the story behind your most ordered takeaway. What is the most ordered takeaway on, on your Jet app? <laughs> There's a Dutch uh, restaurant uh, chain, Sla, it's called, basically sell it for you guys. Okay. And uh, they have a vegan capsalon, capsalon. A capsalon is a Dutch uh, meal as well <laughs> for the Dutch people uh, in this room, but uh, it's a sort of salad and it's fe- so it's it's also very healthy. Capsalon normally is uh, French fries with a lot of unhealthy things on top of it. So, right. but this is a healthy sort of salad variation. It's not that I'm vegan, but this salad is really good, uh, and I always order it when I'm at the office and uh, uh, I need to. Uh, and, and I need to order, obviously. So, so health is obviously really important to you. But the, but capsulon is is that something you ate as a child growing up? Is that something that most Dutch kids try? No, it's more like for students, I, I would okay. say. Okay. So it's more like after you went out. So it's it's comfort food for yeah, four o'clock in the food. morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so every time you're 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 trying the capsulon, even though it's a vegan vegan interpretation, you're reliving those uh, dizzy student days. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Right. So let's talk about Jet then. Now, when we think of Jet, we think of extraordinary scale and growth. How has the growth of Jet affected the scope and the impact of, of, of what your team do. You touched on that with how much football sponsorship you're involved with. But but how has that growth changed what you do? For me personally, it changed everything because I was not even hired to manage sponsorships because we didn't have any sponsorships at the time that I joined the company. I uh, was uh, actually hired for content strategy and, and, and distribution. So more looking after all the socials or uh, all the content that was 
create it and and how to distribute it in the right way. But then already uh, after uh, four months, uh, four months after I joined, uh, UEFA uh, came by with uh, the, the sponsoring of Euro 2020. Now that was the moment in time where we, yeah, where we were finally big enough to to do such a sponsorship. I was lucky because in one of my previous roles, I also was a sponsorships director. So I said, like, I might have some tips and tricks. Yeah. I would like to do this uh, th- this project. So then I did it next to my still other job. So for me, it changed really a lot. And then th- that was first the Euros. And then we started with the Euros, of course. There was the whole COVID at the same time. So it was postponed. And and then in the, in the preps for the, for the Euros, we closed the bigger deal with Champions League, Europa League and all the women's uh, leagues at the same time. So suddenly there was a big job, <laughs> whereas before it was, that did not <laughs> exist. And I mean, this could only happen, of course, because of the merger with... Just the, because of our uh, exponential growth, because otherwise we could never afford it uh, to. Uh, yeah. To do so, so. So the marketing strategy at the point at which you changed was was almost completely different to how the last few years have gone. Is that fair to say? I don't necessarily think that it that it changed, but but it was just also before we were also not big enough for for such big partnerships. But we were always really looking after, like you know what are the most um, relevant ordering moments. That, that's also the, the reason why we initially uh, went into uh, sponsoring the Euro Euro 2020 is also because it's a really relevant order moment uh, for us. If we ask people, like, when do you think of ordering food? In the top three, there is like when I, when I watch uh, football or uh, sports with friends. And besides that, the Euros is, of course, also a very broad audience. And we are also there for everybody. That's what we say, like from... Yeah, from 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 eighteen to sixty five, that's that's our, our our target audience, and that's really also the audience of a tournament like the Euros. Okay, so you you touched obviously there on that dramatic growth, but are there any other ways you can think that Jet was different when you joined from how it is now? Yeah, it was it was totally different. It was ten times smaller to begin with. Yeah, when I started, we were active in eleven countries. I still feel that we have this sort of startup culture, but I I think we might touch upon that later. But at that moment in time, what I really valued uh, is that that nothing was set in stone. You know, you you could take on every project that that you wanted. If you took the lead, you could lead it because there were so many things to do that you really had to be clear on setting your priorities for, for example, the next quarter, because otherwise... Yeah, you could always do thousand things, you know. So and and that in combination with very short lines to our CMO, uh, uh, Chief Marketing Officer, and she then with with our founder. Yeah, that that's just really, really nice to work with and for. If you can get things done so quickly and and decisions uh, are being being taken very quickly. So, of course. Yeah, now we are getting a little bit bigger, but luckily I still experience this sort of uh, pragmatic, quick decision-making. But yeah, now we are getting bigger. You also have, of course, more processes and more rules, but that's logical, I think. So obviously these systems coming into place, the larger the organization grows. So this question might not uh, apply, or maybe there's two parts to it now. The first part is, did you know right away that Jet was the right place for you? Was it love at first sight? Now, for me, it really was. So I, I, have a, I have a digital background uh, already. So basically all of the jobs I had in the past were also new 
jobs, new roles. So I had to form my own role, but in more like established companies like uh, L'Oreal yeah. or you know, in that sense, eh, you are in a sort of uh, maybe more old fashioned company uh, in a new role. And now I had a new role and also in a new fast growing and fast paced company. So for me, this was great. So I thought like, yes, finally, you know, we can just take decisions. We can do things. I can take on every project that I like. I really said to everybody, this seriously, it's not, it's not like, like this is really like the UK people would say like, uh, you're, eh, it's coming home, you know, like uh, <laughs> during the Euros. <laughs> no, but I mean, then I really said like, yeah, this, this is how I never thought I would... Uh, work and never felt that there were a lot of politics uh, go- going on. People just want to try and help out and people are happy if you take over work because they are so busy with their own projects, you know? So that's, um, yeah. So I, I immediately knew like, okay, this is a company where I, where I want to stay longer. So you fell in love with this dynamic, um, fast growing company. I guess the second part of that question then is, are you still in love? Is it still the right fit for you? Yes, definitely. Now, so I, I'm 100% convinced that I have the nicest job in the company. So, it's, uh, no, but, but but it's also nice. So because I I build I could build my own team. So of course I hired people around me from very different backgrounds, but but all very complementary to each other. I really like the way of working with also the senior uh, management above me if, if if decisions need to be taken and of course my my job has changed so much over the year yeah. so basically since september we start uh, we only started with the first season of the champions league and the europa league so we are really now in a build up phase and this contract is 3 years uh, at least so for me this is still still a changing job and probably yeah if we might add other sponsorships or not or you know the change will take place anyhow so um no but i i'm i'm still 100 happy with the job uh, luckily you, you, you spoke about how it's a changing evolving job there do you think that's true for lots of people within the organization do you think because of the nature of jet because it's growing because it's dynamic because its roots are as a startup that everybody within the organization has a, a, an evolving role. Is that is that true? Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, definitely. Because if the company grows bigger, then and, 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 and for the outside, your job stays the same, but your responsibility becomes way bigger, of course. Yeah. For the last Euros, we did a campaign in, in 15 countries at the same time. But whereas before, maybe we, we would have chosen like maybe the five uh, biggest countries or also the complexity is getting bigger and then and, and the responsibilities are getting bigger. The budgets are getting bigger. So although you're doing on paper, maybe the same job, you basically you're growing with the job. Yeah, that's also really what, what happens to, to a lot of people uh, in, in the company as well. Yeah, and there must be greater opportunities as a result of growth as well. Definitely, on a level. definitely. And there's always uh, new projects to take on. And if people say, no, uh, I'd like to do a more strategic project or I would like to do something else, there's always sort of room to move within departments. And um, Yeah, fantastic. But um, equally, whilst we're talking about the um, attraction of a high-growth company and, it, and, and, and a dynamic company and everything that that affords people working within the organisation – Growth, like Jet has experienced, must have its difficulties. So to ask that with regard to your own experience, has there been a time when you felt that you failed? Are there any things that you would absolutely not do again? 
for me it's very uh, double because my biggest project so far within the company was the organization of Euro 2020. And of course, I did not do that alone. I did it with together with whatever, 500 colleagues that also worked on it. But before it was like, okay, I need to pull everything together and I'm accountable for everything that happens on site. But when we started, we just merged like three months before with Just Eat. Uh, so we had a whole new setup in the company. It was in the midst of a pandemic. If you would have asked me this question like last year around this time, yeah, then I would say like, yeah, I would never want to do this again, organizing a Euro tournament in so many, with a campaign in so many countries in the middle of a pandemic and uh, and also with colleagues that, that yeah, we couldn't meet, right? So uh, suddenly I had hundreds of uh, colleagues in the UK, but we had never met and we had to work together. There were no processes in place because we were suddenly so many times bigger. We just had to fix it on the job. And that, that was also really stressful. But when then the euro happened, yeah, then of course, eh, there's also sort of eh, then the recognition and the the feeling of eh, we did it together yeah. uh, was also there, of course. You sound like you sound like um, one of those sports people who say, you know, this is a one-off event and then they do it and then they, they feel the adrenaline and the, the, the high, the serotonin highs, the the buzz of of achieving what they wanted to achieve, and then they straight back to to doing it again. Yeah, no. Nah, so it it also felt a, uh, a little bit like like that when we were standing at um, we were uh, in Wembley during the final, uh, and then the final whistle uh, was there, and then I was together with a couple of people in my team. We just said we did it, you know. We we literally started crying with yes. three of the team, and we're really we were so happy that it, that it was over. But that the you know that that we did it together, but also that it was over. And that it, if you work towards such a big deadline, then yeah, then of course you know that then after this deadline, there's also a little bit of room to you know uh, yeah. relax as well. But but indeed, it's it's sort of uh, addictive, right? But still, I mean, uh, I hope that we will uh, be able to organize another. Uh, euros but never in this same situation again if if we now also talk about it with the colleagues in amsterdam but also in london then we say then we also say to each other like oh how did we do this you know so um i've got to say as an englishman at the exact moment that you were in wembley feeling euphoria and happiness and a uh, <laughs> sense of a job well done um our country was in the depths of despair so just um it's good to it's yeah, good yeah, to balance yeah, yeah, yeah. those two I things. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was totally aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad someone was happy. Yeah, apart, yeah. apart from Italy, obviously, <laughs> who were quite rightly very happy. I didn't mention that I was gonna ask you this, but you mentioned there um the effects of the pandemic. How has and you may not be able to answer this as to when the merger because of when the merger came, but how has the pandemic affected the working culture within Jet? I mean, obviously it's been a time of tremendous growth. But what about what about the working culture? Has that been has it been more difficult to create? Do you think, or or has it not been affected at all? Now, of course, it's more difficult to, to create. It would be would be yeah, uh, not not would not be fair to to say that it, that it that it didn't influence uh, uh, influences. It was it was I I think for me personally it was still quite okay. Of course, I I really uh, loved. 
I would have loved to go to the to to the office, but uh, I I was already you know I was already part of that culture and I I knew where to go. But I definitely I can imagine that for newcomers that never been in the office, we we hired a lot of people uh, last year that that never met somebody at all. And for those people, of course, it's extremely hard to feel part of a culture if you never met somebody, never went to the office. But and of course, we did a lot of things to create this sort of how we call it connection effect. But of course, it was all via screen, you know. So it's yeah. So we did a lot of things of creating this this feeling where we would feel part of the same company but no it, it, it definitely influenced it and it was also uh, we could not travel at all obviously so it was also for the people you really work closely with uh yeah i i only met my uh, boss who's based in london uh, i only met him uh, after nine months uh, yeah. working together and i i spoke with him like you know, every day so that was really weird to see him in 3D, <laughs> how, he said, how he said it. So is, is there anything, and apologies again, if, if there's nothing, if this question doesn't ring true, then just ignore it. But is there anything that has worked particularly well whilst everybody is working remotely to build that team ethos, that idea of everybody being together? So we did what, what I said, like sort of sessions on the connection effect, but also like, you know, drinks and yeah we we tried everything out of course over the past years you know what everybody did uh i think is like you know sending the drinks home pub quiz uh, online uh, with with the team we organized a a euro 20 so the the summer that where the euros would uh, actually have been take take place yes euro in the summer of 2020 we organized a euro quiz where you could play like uh, online with colleagues but also with your friends and yeah so Still, it's not real life, but hopefully now eh, we are uh, we are finally uh, getting to get to the office uh, again. So I'm I'm going to talk about hugs now, but we, they might have to be virtual hugs and embracing. I wanted to mention the times when you forgot that you were at work and you spontaneously embraced your team. I want to know the the moments that made you most proud of your team. Now, I think I actually already touched upon it because that was at the start of the, the, the Euro final, actually, where we literally fell into each other's arms. It's over and we did it. That was really the, the moment that really uh, stood out for me. Uh, if I have to mention another example, but that, that was more different sort of emotion. That was when I was also really proud of the team and we were really stood together like it was also during the Euros and that wasn't at the moment that we decided to uh, show the rainbow LED that stands for inclusivity after yeah. the, the the Hungary uh, uh, scandal that took place during the Euros yeah. and then all sponsors decided to we had a very quick alignment uh, among the sponsors then we decided to to change the the orange uh, background into a rainbow and then we also said like this is really you know what we stand for and that we are an inclusive company and we want to show it and we also we can do it and we can make impact on quite a big scale with you know during such a tournament obviously well that inclusivity uh, moment is 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 a really great example um is it how do you ensure that your values are reflected in a campaign like that? And and how much of a responsibility is that to make sure personal values that you have, values that the organization has, are reflected in the sponsorship deals you make and so on? 
when all the sponsorship came in and, and we, uh, you get loads of rights and uh, there's also on UEFA side, there's, there's a huge you know, package with, with rights that they need to deliver. So, of course, the first couple of months, there's, there's a focus on like getting everything in place. Uh, and now we are, we also see uh, internally that we are going to the next phase. So, and UEFA also sees us as a sort of, uh, we are, of course, quite new, but we are also sort of the first tech company uh, joining as one of the sponsors. So they also, we have a really nice conversations on their sustainability strategy. They ask us to give input on sustainability, on inclusivity, and of course on uh, diversity, because uh, that, that's also where UEFA is also known for. Right? It's mostly, it's of course a men's world, let's put it that way. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. If, if if like uh, the, like all the marketing uh, people in Jet that, yeah, happen to work, happen to work for sponsorships, happen to be women. So that's also always a nice sort of you know, uh, contradiction. But yes, definitely. So we are now uh, really concretely working on on how to position women within, of course, within the company uh, in the first place, but also within UEFA and our collaboration with the women's competitions, with the women's Euros. So we have lots of concrete actions uh, in place to really give the floor to female role models via podcast series, by the way. So uh, I I think that's really a good thing to do and the the only right thing to do. And besides that, we are also working with our CSR department on, for example, waste management during all those finals, tournaments, uh, uh, to see like where can we help and how can we make everything more uh, more sustainable uh, yeah. and so on. So when you have these initial discussions, sustainability, diversity, um, CSR, they're all part of the discussion before you embrace the marketing uh, project. Yes, definitely. Okay, fascinating. Okay. So moving on, what you've just described is is an intense process and the level of growth within JET is enormous. All of this must be exhausting. There <laughs> must be times when your energy levels drop. So I guess my question is, how do you personally recharge and how do you ensure that your team are recharged? Indeed, in the build-up to the Euros, it was also, it was quite hard, right? The whole team was 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 working from home. So it was not me that could say at five o'clock, like you lock down your laptop, we go out. We go out. So I kept on saying every day again, like, you know, you... You must go for a walk during lunchtime. You know, log off for one hour. Uh, you can ask my team, but I, I really felt like a broken record because I was saying the whole time, like, okay, the Euros will happen anyway. If you work this extra hour or not, it will happen. Maybe there there will be a mistake. So maybe there will be a banner that is that is wrongly placed or whatever. Yeah, but then we, yeah, then we can also change it. You know, so it's. It was a sort of more the pragmatic approach, like, okay, please take care of yourself because otherwise we are way further from home. And um, yeah, how I did it myself was what I like to do is what was really getting up early. So I, I didn't really like to work late at night, but I was getting up at six, then did an hour, did my, my email for an hour and also did a little bit of meditation uh, during that time. But you know what? What I also really experienced is that, of course, the pressure was high because the, the deadline was there, but there was no, there was never 
een manager or senior manager or jitse that said like oh you need to do it now you know so the pre- so there was no pressure and that's totally different from any other company i worked okay where of course normally the senior management is then putting the pressure on the, no, the people under underneath and this is this is just like yeah everybody knew that we were doing our utmost best to to, to yeah. make it happen and that we stretched ourselves so th- th- and i think that's really important you know if, if you have your managers that always tell you like well, you're doing a great job please take care of yourself then you also think like you know guys we are doing a great job and it's gonna be fine we also see sometimes is that people are really getting overwhelmed in a really short period of time i also had somebody in my team that was burned out after seven weeks uh, he was in and that's of course really painful Eh? And while I was telling him every day that he was doing an amazing job. That exhaustion, that must be particularly hard for young people. Yeah, so I also now, in fact, after that happened, I I sort of did a proposal for a mentorship, an internal mentorship program, because I, I, in fact, I do feel that that I could help those young, like, and then you talk about like the 25 to 30, right? You know, that basically their first or maybe second job. Um, that you can easily help them or navigate a little bit, you know, when you just join the company or. Uh, so what, what do you, what do you tell them? What do you, what do you? So these guys, they, they're joining, um, and women who are joining the organization, twenty to thirty, first or second job. What do you tell them to expect from the from the company and and how to sort of prepare themselves to to do their best? Ah, uh, it's also really. Uh, yeah, so it's also what to expect, but also especially what not to expect, you know, so that you really define two priorities per quarter, for example, and work on those priorities. And if then the rest will come later, that's also fine, you know, so that's uh, most of those people are great. But it's it's the the pressure they put on their sel- themselves that they. Uh, so is there a mentorship program within the company now? So we are now piloting. We are starting to pilot so that we, from my level uh, and up, we are just a, we are gonna appoint like uh, different, uh, yeah, two or three mentees, where you have a coffee with each month and that you can you know stay aligned and. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think so that's that, really that's, valuable. Yeah, I also really think that that. Uh, would could help uh, yeah because it breaks down those the sort of layers doesn't it every organization has layers and if we can find ways to break down layers within an organization then you end up with a more vibrant culture don't you a more a culture that's representative of everyone in the organization so let's touch on that briefly what why do you think that is my guess would be that there's still the feel of a startup about jet and therefore you don't have layers of management like perhaps you do in larger organizations that have been around for a longer period of time is that is that fair so as you mentioned before shorter lines to the to the top so to speak of course we also do have now layers of management but but still the startup culture is is indeed still there because there's so many projects to 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 take on so you i think everybody also thinks like everybody is always so busy to 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 make it happen that it doesn't make sense to say like you have to do it you know because it's clear what needs to be done so we were also never uh, we are never asked to build big decks for senior management you know so it was of course we updated them you know of course uh, we did that but it's not like that you have to do work because they they create the work it's more like they they see like okay you have to make sure that you 
you know, finish this this project and we we trust you as well. Like we trust you in 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 what you do. So why would they push then? That's also really how I feel it, and of course also how I treat my team. Then and and I think that's the nicest thing. So that sense of trust that exists, you think, within the whole company, within the whole organization, and yeah. it's part a big part of your culture. Yeah, yeah, I feel it uh, this way uh, at least. Yeah. Finally, is there any stuff that we need to know about? I mean, in terms of um, your your for sponsorships, what's what's next? What what's coming next for you for you guys as a marketing team, or is that top secret? Nah, top secret. No, but of course we are always, um, as I said, like the reason that we chose uh, for those sponsorships also because uh, uh, football is a big ordering moment for us. So we are always looking into opportunities where we also see this ordering moment happening. So, so, and that's what we are looking at right now. What exactly that will be, uh, you, you will find out soon because otherwise... Uh, might get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Do you know what? Was it important to you that there was an equal, um, that you sponsored both the men's and the women's league? Was that something that you personally felt in, was was important? Yeah, really important. And, and uh, actually, before we even were in talks about the Champions League, because... The Champions League was sold out, basically, so that was that was not an option at that time. Um, and before even we started conversations with uh, Europa League, Jitze in, uh, himself he said, "Like, are we already talking with the women's?" So we also we were one of the first sponsors uh, to sign uh, uh, for the women's because he also had this yeah now uh, almost a famous uh, uh, quote like, "Our brand is for everybody, and sports should be too." So there was no doubt about if we do the men's, why do we, don't we do the women's? Or should we maybe even do the women's before the men's? Fantastic. Okay, so final question now. Um, and this one is a little bit philosophical. It's, I, hope, I hope it's not um, too vague, but here we go. Why do you go to work? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a sense of self-fulfillment that's of course one thing but of course i also really feel it's a lot of fun you know it's a lot of so the the work is nice so that so when i switch jobs i always said like okay you really have to hey, you can become the manager of thousand people but you really have to ask yourself what are you going to do every day you know what's your daily work going to be and do you like to do that? And that's what I'm always asking myself. I have been asking myself. And so far, I really like what I'm doing every day because it's um, about relationships, but also really about getting things done. Is for me uh, a really good balance. Uh, everyone needs to be critical towards themselves. Like, okay, you know, if you don't like what you do every day, yeah, why do you go to work? Then you you really need to love it. That that's what I uh, what I believe. Is, I can see you now. Um, obviously, listeners won't be able to. Headphones, microphone. You look very much like a professional radio presenter. I know you mentioned that's something that you've always had an interest in. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that was my guilty career pleasure, I would uh, call it. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so uh, no, but when I was younger, I was always... Um, 
I always said like I would like to be the sidekick of that was a famous Dutch radio <laughs> DJ. I said like I could really I could definitely be the sidekick. But yeah, you know, the career went uh, went went different. But you know who knows, you know, what 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 will happen next after this uh, podcast. Yeah, this is 2022. People don't necessarily yeah. need to stay in their roles uh, forever. No. There may be the future for you as a as a as a radio sidekick. <laughs> that can be a side job for me as well, no? <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for listening to We Are Jet. If you'd like to know more about working at Just Eat Takeaway, go to careers.justeattakeaway.com. Our career website can also be found in our show notes. On the next episode, we have lessons from the world of dance for companies experiencing serious growth, and we listen to what true listening really means. My name is Ed Palmer. Talk to you soon.